1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across the table from me is Christopher Fry. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well. Doing Good. well. Good. Well, let's uh, get ready to talk some movies. Chris and I are both uh, directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Uh, but here today, we are to talk new movies and to give you a little reviews and feedback of things we've been checking out. First up, we'll be reviewing the film Killers of the Flower Moon, made by an up-and-coming director, someone I, I, I'm starting to hear a little bit of buzz about this, Martin, oh gosh, help me with the last name, Chris. Um, Scorsese? Scorsese, 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 like Scorsese, yes, I believe is the way you want to pronounce it. Uh, of course, we joke, he's been around for quite a while, but it's his latest epic film starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone killers of the flower moon we'll be discussing that in our first review then after that we'll be dipping into some movie news some recommendations and even a trailer to tease of an upcoming film that i'm going to want to discuss a little bit so chris we've got a lot to do here on this show as always why don't we just jump right into our review of the main feature film which is killers of the flower moon
0: whose land is this Land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You've made a good choice coming back here. Those you are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmart everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my <laughs> weakness. <laughs>
2: In 2019, Martin Scorsese reteamed with Robert De Niro for The Irishman, a three-hour and 29-minute based on a true story tale of Frank Sheeran's life, one that involved being a hitman for a crime family and supposedly assassinating Jimmy Hoffa. Now in 2023, Scorsese has teamed up again, not only with De Niro, but another favorite of his, Leonardo DiCaprio, for the three-hour and 26-minute based on a true story, Killers of the Flower Moon. This new film visits Oklahoma in the 1920s when oil is discovered on the land of the Osage nation. Members of the Osage tribe become immensely wealthy, but then begin to be murdered one by one, prompting the FBI to get involved and determine what exactly is going on. Alan, many are claiming this is Scorsese's finest, but many claim that upon the release of the Irishman as well. What was your experience with Killers, and ultimately, how do you think it will rank not only against the Irishman, but with Scorsese's filmography
1: as a whole. Right. Um, and I am a big Scorsese fan. So I, I, I'm excited for any film that he puts out. Okay. Honestly, I've seen every film he's made with the exception of Silence. That is the one I will cop to that I've never seen. Okay, um, It's on my list. It's on my list of shame as far as a being a completist and watching the the entire body of work of this director. So I am always very eager and excited to see uh, a film Uh, for me to go out on opening night or opening night weekend Mm -hmm. to a three and a half hour movie by myself, I might note too, because my entire family skipped out of town uh, (laughs) that night. So it was just me. And uh, it would be for a Scorsese film that I would pull that off and do that for. Gotcha. Um, I think Killer to the Flower Moon works really, really well, and I thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated this film where does it fall in his uh filmography i I think it is top tier um i don't think it's his best i mean i i i that's a high high bar i i I think top tier uh, scorsese is a good enough mark of saying yes this is worth the hype this is worth the the investment of your time and ticket price to go see um i do have some concerns about it or things that i felt like were missed opportunities or things that I wish the film had done more with. But on its surface, what we were given, what we were produced, I think thoroughly engaging, thoroughly entertaining, and I hate saying entertaining because it's a very, very dark uh, film. It's a very, very upsetting film. It's a very, uh, yes, it it definitely is telling a story that, uh, honestly, I think the reason I I connected with the film so much is I, I knew nothing about this story, the underlying story of the Osage Nation back in the 1920s, as you were describing this, you know, this, uh, uh, this Native American group that became so wealthy because of the the land that they were on having discovered oil on it. But yet how, uh, you know, the white settlers there in the area have found so many different ways to exploit that money and try to take control of that to the point where it does turn into a true Scorsese film where there are, Murders and there is crime and there is a mob like mentality with with a a group of people So it definitely for anybody questioning why Scorsese would have made this film I think once you get deep into it You're like I perfectly see why he wanted to make this film or was engaged by this story as well Uh, So Chris I I did I did really appreciate this. I thought it was great Uh, I want to hear your thoughts though before we get into some specifics about the film. So
2: Well, I likewise I I enjoyed the film. Um, I think I can't. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, having just seen it, it's hard to kind of immediately throw it into a ranking, you know, because you'd have to go back and watch other of his films. But I agree. I think it is, you know, in the top of his filmography. I think I appreciated it a little more if I had to make a rush judgment. I think I would probably say I appreciate it a little bit more than the Irishman just because the Irishman is more of what people stereotypically think with a Martin Scorsese picture. It's about the mob. Um, so it's like kind of like I'd seen him do that before, and it was still good, but I kind of felt like it was so familiar to me. Whereas you're right with this, not to say there's not a crime element because obviously there definitely is, but because it's like a Western mob movie, you know. Yeah. So it's like he's it's a slightly different tack, um, and that that created interest. I will say something that surprised me a little bit. I'm just like you, I knew very little about this you know event time period where. You know, these people are being taken advantage of. I knew knew very little about that. Um, It actually kind of opens the picture a little bit and shows you kind of how, yo yeah, they had a lot of money such that they had white folks taking them around and being servants and being, you know, Mm -hmm. um, chauffeurs and stuff. And you're like, wow, that's really, so they were actually being subservient to the, you know, this tribe. It was like, it was was interesting. I was like, yeah, I had no idea any of this stuff really had happened. Um, But something that was set up I guess a little bit for me from the trailer that didn't come to pass. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but um, I thought it would be kind of a, I knew there was going to be crime involved because you can tell it from the trailer, but kind of a crime thriller or a crime who done it kind of type thing. And <laughs> I wasn't expecting from the very beginning. You're like, Oh, I, I think I, I think I know what's going on here. And Damn. then for the rest of the film, it's like, no, I know what's going on here, but I don't think I yeah. think that was just a misconception. No, no, but I, I, it's surprising because you're like, wow, like it. Well, kind of shows you what's happening early, yeah. but I think that's his intent, is kind of to show you corruption.
1: Yeah, so. I, 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 I agree. I think some of the early marketing of the film tried to make it sound like it was going to be a little bit of a mystery, and it's not. No. Although there is an element, and again, I'll I'll dance around this without giving too much away. There is an element of it that at least through halfway through the movie, I was still questioning one character's involvement and uh, awareness of things going on. And I think that was left intentionally oblique until much later in the film. But overall, you still know what's going on. And I, I yeah, it's almost like, of course, like, yeah, look, we're not even going to try to mask this. There's no, no mystery to it. No. Everybody who's looking at the situation from the outside, looking in knows what's going on. So let's just roll right up to it. Um, I will say, I think the film, you know, has a balance to make of it's, it's historical drama. It's historical crime drama. There is a, a, a romance, I guess you could say, at one part of this film, which yes. is a little different. I mean, we don't see a lot of romance in Scorsese films, and True. this one starts to have one bit of a relationship. That is the the main character that we follow. Well, the two main characters, I will say, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Ernest Burkhart, and Lily Gladstone plays Molly Burkhart. So, of course, as you can tell from the last name, they're they're married through a good part of the film. Um, He's obviously someone who's just returned from the war, and he's trying to settle back into Oklahoma here, taken in by his uh, his uncle, right? That's William Hale, known as King Hale. Um, He meets Molly Burkhart, who was part of the Osage Nation, and come to find out, you know, is also uh, privy to a very large uh, uh, land, amount of land and amount of money, therefore, so you always question a little bit of the connection between the two of them and 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 how much of this relationship is real or not. That part of the film and then her relationship with the rest of the Osage Nation and how they were dealing with what was happening around them mm-hmm. was my most interesting and favorite parts of the film. Right. I will say my disappointment in the film. The one thing I feel like it kind of let me down on is... As we got later in the film, we kind of lost that track. Actually, there's a whole segment of the film where Molly, Lily Gladstone's character's hardly ever there. We have no insight from the rest of the Osage Nation, other than a couple of scenes, I think, dropped in almost very expo- expositionally just to have them kind of comment on what's going on. But I felt like we lost their narrative. Okay. And it became a very much a, a Goodfellas, uh, you know, in the latter half where – even to the point where there is a whole section all about people getting uh, uh, reprimanded and, and uh, done away with because of things are starting to unravel and people are having to be taken care of to make sure nobody talks. It's, it was very, very good fellas, which believe me, look, good is one of my favorite movies. So I sure. have no problem with seeing Scorsese pull off a sequence or a period of, of the film like that. But I do feel like we lost the Osage nation. Side of things and their story for a good third, maybe even close to a half of the film, which I was disappointed by. Not that I was disappointed with what we got in return, because I do like what we got. I just do feel like that was a missed opportunity. I felt like they tried to shoehorn it back in at the end to kind of remind us it was their story overall. But I do feel like it got a little more consumed with with the white man story than it did the Osage story, which that was a disappointment for me, not enough for me to at all anywhere close to saying, I don't appreciate the film. It's just, it is something I feel like was a missed opportunity and I would have loved to see more of with it.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, what about some call outs on some, some strengths with the film, uh, performance wise, especially anybody you want to kind of single out or really talk about as far as putting a great job on the performance here. You
2: know, De Niro and DiCaprio. Um, Hmm. I think this is some of the best stuff that I think both of them have done. Um, and I think I'll say, I remember when the early press photos came out and they showed like the scene, I think it's like a dinner table scene and DiCaprio sitting there with Lily Gladstone. People were like, Oh, you know, you can't even recognize him. And I'm like, well, no, if I look at that, I think I can tell that's Leonardo DiCaprio. But now that I've seen the film, I will say that in many respects, yeah, he is almost unrecognizable just because he's playing such a. I don't know, a, a very different character than I think he normally plays. He's not this smooth, dashing, debonair type person or somebody that seems to have it all together. No, that's that's not this dude at all. Um very like he's he's yeah, he just it's very a very different looking role for yeah. him. Um so that kind of took me back, but I think his performance is pretty good. A lot more subtle too than what would normally be. Like it's not a very I don't know. It's so he's so kind of even keel throughout the film. Doesn't his character doesn't really change. Um, a very simple type character that, and I, I don't know, that was just kind of something interesting to see him play mm-hmm. De Niro though. Um, something about kind of in the same way, but he has this <laughs> kind of soft menace, if you can yeah. say that. And I, yeah. it, And it's there, but just how he kind of uses it and can kind of, Turn the faucet on and get more missing, and then dial it back. You know the way he's able to dial his menace up and down throughout the film is uh, pretty interesting. But I think what many people are going to say, I, I would I would agree, add my voice to the chorus. Lily Gladstone is really kind of the revelation if you want to have one. Unfamiliar with her overall and in this movie, like yeah, she's one of the main people in it, and I think she does a a really good job and similarly they kind of say this early on the film where the i think de niro is actually the one who mentions it he's like oh yeah these these people don't talk a lot you know they they let you kind of talk and make an idiot of yourself but they just they listen and if they do say something you better pay attention to what they say you know and she falls into that category well yeah she'll talk but just her facial expressions and how she's able to just even her eyes seem Mm -hmm. to kind of communicate a lot and so that that made it really impressive it's not like she was you know nonstop talking and that made her a very dynamic character she's just in her silence she says volumes so no, that, that was kind of a a cool
1: discovery i will echo everything you said for sure about lily gladstone and robert de niro i i do think this is one of the best de niro performances i've seen in a really long time um I don't. What was the last time he was with Scorsese? And oh yeah, the, the Irishman. Man. Okay, but before the Irishman, it had been quite a while. So yeah, maybe um,
2: since Casino. Yeah, I maybe? think it was
1: Casino. This one was good, just because you're right. It's he he got to stretches stretch a little bit from what we kind of typically expect. You know, the Irishman I felt like you know De Niro was kind of playing a very similar version of what he's played before. Just got to expand a little bit into. Uh, give a little bit more personality to it, but this one he really got to play a, a character and, and play someone I found really interesting and fascinating to watch the whole time. And then Lily Gladstone as Molly Burkhart, yes, very very good, very strong performance. You know, DiCaprio, look, I, I, it was a good performance. I I, I liked it. Um, I don't think he had as much to do as much of the other character and that's fine i think that was that was his character his character was a lot more just kind of there his character didn't drive any of the action his character didn't wasn't there to respond to action his character was just there and you do kind of learn throughout the story that is intentional. I mean, that's, that's what his role is. Which
2: I think when you see a name like Leonardo DiCaprio, you're expecting him, like you're saying, to be driving a lot of action. Instead of things happening to him, you're expecting him to create the things happening to other people. And yeah, that was kind of unexpected. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It was. Um, I'll say a little surprising to me and and not in a negative way, but um, the film also really tried to play up or the trailer I felt like or in the marketing played up a lot more of the FBI's involvement and in their role. And what I've learned about kind of since watching the film is that the film, the, the book that this is based off of is almost all about the FBI's investigation into the Osage nation and these murders going on. Okay. And that was initially how the movie was going to be planned out. But then they just realized that that wasn't the best story to tell. So they rewrote the whole thing and made it to where it was centered more on this relationship between Ernest and Molly got you. and the relationship with, with uh, and their and the uncle, you know, King Hill and the FBI side of things kind of got shifted and just kind of put like, really like we saw in the last third of the film. I mean, right. Jesse Plemons is Tom white, you know, kind of heading up the investigation. We don't see until, you know, the last third, uh, but that's good. I'm okay with that because again, I wanted to spend more time with this community. Sure. And, this evolving community of the Osage and the, and the, and the uh, uh, white people coming in and, 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 cohabitating, but then are also being some, you know, finding out the relationships being formed between them, but also finding those that were being more nefarious with their desires. Um, that was so much more interesting to me than any kind of investigation that was going to go on or rounding up the people and trying to get them arrested or, or whatever it may be. So, um, so I think, I think ultimately it was a good call, but it was a little surprising. Um, I will say too, and Chris, I don't, I don't want to talk about the ending specifically. Okay. Um, other than to say, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the ending. Um, did it work for you? And I'm talking about on two levels. Okay. There is a whole ending sequence Mm -hmm. that is unexpected. Yes. But uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts. I know where you're going with that, and then there's a second layer to it of a particular speech and particular piece that's presented by a certain someone in that final segment that is also a bit surprising. So, just give me overall thoughts on the ending. How did that ending work for you? It was a very uh, sure, it was a very atypical ending, even for a, a even the closest I can come to is you know, back in Goodfellas at the very end. Everything kind of abruptly cuts and we just all of a sudden get a direct to the camera address from Henry Hill played by, uh, um, oh gosh, who was he played by? Yeah. I can, you know, the actor.
2: Just, Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. Yeah.
1: And he kind of narrates it directly to the camera, which was a kind of an interesting break. Well, this film also does an interesting break as well for kind of the closing up the film and to kind of give you the rest of the story or to take the place of what we would normally get as the title cards coming up, telling you, Hey, and then this year this happened and this is what happened to this character. How did you think that ending kind of worked out for you? So,
2: you know, as it is the ending and it is coming after over three hours in the theater, um, I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, I was expecting it, you know, the film, you can tell the film's kind of wrapping up and then the way they cut to this, ending, um, a, a radio play essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it, it, w- it was odd. And at first I was kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, what's going on? Um, but I think it was, a you know, it's how radio would have been big back in the 1920s. And they had like radio dramas and radio plays. So I think it was an attempt to do something different, to not close something out with title cards and mm-hmm. photos and, you know, kind of explaining, okay, here's how, how all these people ended up. Um, I thought it was interesting. I liked it. Um, Then there is kind of the final comments being made and uh, the the person they have doing that, I think is interesting. And I think in a way, um, do we want to say, no, I think just leaving it as somebody interesting coming up and making what was communicated to me through that, what happens, the person saying these final lines is how, important this story and what it meant to this person. And it is kind of breaking the fourth wall maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could say you would almost think it's drawing too much attention to this person and not putting the film Mm -hmm. in the hands of the people whose story it really is the Osage Nation, except for the final shot of this film. And I am in general, not a fan of drone or drone looking shots, just because I think it is really, really, really overdone, especially like even low budget films. A lot of times throw drone shots in to be like, Hey, look at our production value. Obviously Martin Scorsese doesn't need to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying it looks like a drone shot to me. It may not be, but it's definitely like a really high crane shot. But the concluding shot is of an Osage type uh, ceremony. Mm -hmm. At least I think that's what's going on. And to me, that was a good way to kind of return the honor back to the people whose this movie was about and what had yeah. been happening to them. So all that to say, it was different. It was unexpected. At first, I was like, well, it, it was like a whiplash moment at first. It was, yep. But for Martin Scorsese to give me a whiplash moment is actually kind of impressive because I've seen a lot of his films. I feel like a lot of times... You know things are very similar, but this was different, and it it did work for me. But okay. I can see how could it, it could really not work for some people. Yeah,
1: I, I'm a bit conflicted on it. Um, I like the, I like the, I like the conceit. I like the the format of what he presented. I like the way it was for uh, presented. It's more of the intent of what's being said, because I get it. the The radio plays meant to remind you in a way too that. We as an American society have kind of turned it into entertainment. These yes. stories, yes, and that's how it was presented to people on this radio show. It is entertainment. Oh, you know, let's, let's talk about the mean villain who kind of murdered these people, and we're going to talk about all the sensationalism. No, guess, right. So that is us as an American society. We've glommed onto that. So again, there's the story of you're telling the story of this horrific situation that happened to Native Americans uh, that were you know native to this land that we've come in and taken over and it's a horrible story and it's a embarrassing story and it's, you know, to see it's turned into entertainment. But I mean, we got to keep in mind it's that's what Scorsese is doing as well. He's turned the story into a form of entertainment. Right. I feel like the message that we receive at the very end is trying to do a little bit of a male cup on that and say, yeah, okay, I get it. We've turned this into entertainment. We've turned this into a three and a half hour blockbuster movie that's being released in theaters across the nation. But I, I kind of need you to remember that there's a real human. There was, there were real humans involved in this story. There was a real story here that we need to remember. I'm just conflicted because it's a little bit trying to play both sides. Just like it's trying to remind us, hey, we played this for entertainment, and we should be a little. uh, It's, it's a little. uh, It's a little pointing pointing the fingers at ourselves saying, hey, we we do this as a society. This is how we treat these stories. But yet, this is also what – it's probably why I'm disappointed that the whole latter half of the film I felt like strayed away from the Osage Nation's viewpoint and their story because it did turn it into a little bit more of a gangster entertainment film that I wanted it to be. So I'm just conflicted on the ending because I think it's trying to play all angles of this. I think it's probably the best he could have done given the movie that, that he has. Um, It at least was an interesting ending. I will give it that. I did like the interestingness of it, but um, it's a little, it's a little mixed message for me. So again, I just felt like the film missed out on a chance to really explore what the Osage were going through. And I just don't feel like we got it, especially in the second half. It was all about, Let's worry about what the white people that are causing this problem. Let's worry about what, what's happening to them and how they're dealing with it. And that that wasn't what was as interesting to me. So a little missed opportunity. But again, I, I still feel like as a complete picture, it, it was a really, really fine film. Well made. I appreciated it and enjoyed it all the way through. Just feel like there was some missed opportunities with the story. Mm. So
2: yeah i don't i don't know that i i definitely don't share that misgiving um mm-hmm. yeah i i i i understand what you're saying but mm-hmm. i think that's you know the story that there was told was i yeah i i i see why it worked the way it did um but i if anything for me um there's a trial section of this
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the trial was something that kind of felt a little I don't know, just kind of disjointed. And there were two actors that kind of came into the movie for the first time and that, and they're well known. I mean, John Lithgow and Brendan Fraser and as attorneys and that, that kind of kind of jolted me out because it, it made it kind of like, okay guys, wake up here. Two famous people. You also Mm -hmm. know, and it kind of seemed a little, a little odd to me. And I didn't Um, care
1: for uh, Brendan Fraser's performance at all either. So I don't, I don't,
2: I agreed and I don't, I don't, I just felt like it was awkward Yeah, Um, and I don't put that at his feet, just kind of how the script came.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, something that, you know, even though I like the ending, I will say, um, something else that I found a little (laughs) odd and maybe it's just because I'm too much of a movie nerd, music nerd that it, it, I saw it as much as I did, but Jason Isbell is in this
1: film as well
2: as Sturgill Simpson is in this film. Both
1: of them having pretty, pretty. Pretty big uh, impactful parts. Yeah, They're yeah. not just there mm-hmm.
2: briefly. And then the one that really made me kind of like, wait, is that, yeah, that's him. Uh, in the end radio play, Jack White is there. Yeah. Um, so it was like
1: <laughs> a lot of musicians. It
2: just kind of was weird, um, to do that in a Scorsese film. I don't, I don't normally think of Scorsese as someone who does like stunt
1: casting. Um, yeah, but he's also a music guy. I mean, is. His, his music is such a critical part of the film. So I'm not surprised that musicians had as many kind of meatier parts in this film. It was a lot, though. And it was. Yeah, you're right. It, it, when you watch it, I, I never like it when I'm kind of jolted out of a film by trying to figure out who is that person. It's like some sort of famous person that you don't normally see in a movie. Right. is now up there. So the whole time Jason Isbell came, he shows up pretty early. He's in the film for a good duration of it. Correct. A pretty important part. Right. Yeah. For the first several minutes, I spent time thinking who is, I know who that is. (laughs) I know that somebody. And it's like, I finally, you know, I saw the credits. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. I, I know who that is now. Right. So that's always tough for me. I never liked that, but, um, yeah, they all did good jobs. I mean, I think you know performances were fine from all of them. So it was a little odd the casting there.
2: And I think you know, speaking of music, um, Robbie Robertson did the score for this film, and he had done I think Casino, and he'd also done work on The Irishman. And you know, he's the member of the band who passed away. Is it earlier this year in 2023, or was it 2022? Mm -hmm. I mean, he he's deceased now, and I know this was his last big thing that he got to work on with Scorsese. And I think the score is is pretty great. Yeah. Um and I you know so I I imagine it will probably be recognized um because it just it I don't know I just thought it was Yeah, he history. just passed away in
1: August. So okay, it in would August. Have been like okay. right, you know, a couple month or two before the release of the film. So
2: I guess yeah, I understand your misgiving. I guess I didn't have it as much, mm-hmm. um, but I can definitely see the definitely see the point. Yeah. But overall, I agree with you. It, it's it's a good film.
1: No, it's still it's a very very good film. So no, no in, in my misgivings with it, or my my were more wishes and desires than they were an indictment of the film. It's more of a. I just felt like there was a. I felt like the interesting part, the really interesting part of the story for me, was was being covered so well in the first half of the film it just didn't carry through and it kind of became a victim of a little bit of what we're trying to indict at the end of the film. It's let's make it a little more entertainment and hmm. make it a little more gangster movie that we're following the mob and we got to try to figure out who's going to get off next type of thing. And that was still very well done. <laughs> I mean, sure. still very engaging filmmaking. It's just, boy, I just wish they could have, they could have wove that, Osage viewpoint and their storyline. He got to know more of those characters as all of this tension was really ratcheting up late in the film. I just felt like they were shoved off to the side. And yes, the beautiful shot at the end, I love the last closing shot before mm-hmm. the credits roll, but I felt like that's all we got. It's like, Oh no, let's just kind of remind you. Oh well, yes, this is all about their story. I'm like, yeah, well, I could have used more of that this past hour of the film. So
2: one, and there again, it worked for me. You're saying you thought it was interesting. And I think that's what really worked for me. It was jarring. The radio play thing at first was jarring, but exactly what you're saying, it was trying to say like kind of making light yeah. the whole three hours you've right. just seen. You're like, whoa, why are they doing this? And then the final statement that's made you're like, okay yeah. and that that was enough for me because it's a very directly delivered to the camera kind of reading kind of an obituary that you mm-hmm. feel like maybe taken exactly from the book that this was based on Could maybe. Have been. yeah um and that to me was effective and then, like i say, the last so it's shot a little
1: of bit of a double ceremony. whiplash it's like you get so, whiplash with the radio show coming up and then as you're kind of getting settled and thinking really they're going to end the film with kind of a a joking. little bit making light of all the right. situation and then you get that final closing speech you're like okay all right Yeah, I get it. I get what the messaging is. I feel like it may be a bit contradictory to what the last hour of the film was doing for us the whole time. But, um, but at least I'm glad that messaging was there at the end. And it did give some semblance of closing that I felt was was comfortable and satisfying at that point. So yeah that is flowers of the killer moon or <laughs> <laughs> flowers. killers of the flower moon i've really got to work on the phrasing of that so <laughs> i've sure. messed that up a couple of times this weekend already chris is there anything else we ought to call out or mention about this film
2: no i i think uh i think we've i think we've uh, discussed it and kind of nailed down all the things we liked, just didn't like um i do think yeah i, I think it'll definitely be a contender i'll say come Oscar time.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that. If anything, I'm going to be very disappointed if Lily Gladstone doesn't get uh nomination for, for her work. It'll be curious to me whether it's a lead actress or a supporting actress. Right. Uh, I would argue, unfortunately, it's a supporting actress role because a good chunk of the film, she's just not there. But I don't know. I, I, I've, I've well, seen them make if, some stranger decisions her, on that.
2: That whole like it's basically a game that you play. It's like, okay, if you feel like the main actress is the more competitive field, then you put her and you know, she's got a lock to win supporting. So yeah. it's, you know, which is unfortunate. Cause like you're saying, you don't, she
1: should be a lead actress. Right. I just right. feel like, unfortunately the film does relegate her to the background sure. for a good part of the film. And that could push her into that supporting actress. I, I personally think De Niro's got to get a, I guess, supporting actor (laughs) nomination as well. I mean, he's pretty prominent in the film, but yet, you know, you think about lead actor is DiCaprio is going to technically be seen as the lead. I don't necessarily feel like that should be the case either, but anyway, uh, some questions about how they're going to handle the nomination side, but this film will definitely be getting some, I feel pretty certain in saying that I think this could be direct uh, 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 Scorsese's. You know, he's only won one Oscar for best directing, that was for the departed. Okay, yeah, and um, this one, I mean, given given what's out there right now, I know the contenders that we're talking about for for uh, for this year's Oscars. Uh-huh. Scorsese definitely will be nominated for director. I feel like he will be. I think there's a pretty good shot for him to win it too, because I mean, what you've got Oppenheimer with uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, I'm sure he'll probably get a nomination uh, for direction as well. Probably. Outside of that, I don't know. Greta Gerwig for Barbie? I don't know. We'll see what happens with with other nods, but eh, this could be one to watch. Okay, so that is Killers of the Flower Moon. It is out in theaters now. It will be on Apple TV+. Plus. I think I heard late November.
2: Yeah, sometime in November. It's getting like five or
1: six weeks in the theaters before it goes to Apple TV+. Plus. I have said this because there's been some people in my family and others that – are a little hesitant to go to the movie theater for a three and a half hour movie. Um, it's a commitment. It is. And I think there's a little bit of feeling like, well, it's going to be on Apple in like a few weeks. So we're just going to hang out and wait for that. Uh, this is one I think plays really well on the big screen. I do encourage that, but I'm also looking forward to watching it again when it comes out on Apple. Sure. Uh, as well. So,
2: yeah, I think for me going to the movie theater has kind of an advantage for a really long movie. In a way, I guess, what like, if I'm excited to see a movie, if it's a really long movie, I would actually rather go see it in a theater because then you're like, you know, you have to make a point. It's making a point not to be distracted by anything because you're not in your house sitting on the couch where you could easily be like, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm going to go get a snack (laughs) and then, like, pause it for 20 minutes. So, yeah, if you're interested in seeing it, I would encourage you maybe if you feel safe going to a theater or whatever to go to the theater because the experience is going to be, to me more of an oh, experience. I yeah, know, yeah. So, but I, yeah, if you're, if you're like, I just don't know if I can sit for three hours, then yeah, you know, the good thing is it will be on
1: wait IT a few weeks both, and yeah. uh, see it online. But, uh, right. uh, all right. That is killers of the flower moon by Martin Scorsese. That was our review. And if you just, uh, hang on for just a moment or two, we're going to take a very quick break. We come back. We have got a little bit of movie news. I've got a trailer to share that uh, I'm, I'm curious about and want to get Chris's reaction to, as well as mine. I actually haven't even watched this trailer yet. Okay. And then Chris will also have a recommendation for us of a film that we ought to maybe consider checking out if anybody's looking for some entertainment for uh, during their free time. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the TV, and we will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson
2: Creative, we tell your story.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry back here again. We had our review of Killers of the Flower Moon earlier, which we both really did like. Yes. Uh, I had some comments to make about it that I wish had been a little different with the storytelling. But please don't let that be seen as a sign that I do not like this film. I think we were just talking during the break. It's like a am waffling between four and four and a half stars out of five, which, again, that's a good high mark for me. I'm that's very happy good. with this yeah. film. Um, is that about where you are or where are you at yeah,
2: this? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm similar. Probably, probably more of just a solid four. Solid maybe. four. Yeah. And I'm
1: probably tipping more solid four as well. But I, getting, For me –
2: when it comes to Apple TV plus and you and I both probably will watch it again. Yeah. Then I'll probably have a more,
1: a better idea. Could be. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into something uh, a little different. I want to share a, a bit of interesting news and it's not even really news. It's an opinion. Okay. About it from a director talking about a, a, a beloved franchise that I want to get your thoughts on. And, but also this director has a movie coming out very, very soon. There is a trailer for the film. I want to share the trailer with you as well. So yeah, all that mystery I will explain here in a moment. <laughs> um, director Matthew Vaughn. Okay. Okay. You may know him from, let's see, he, he's made the, the Kingsman movies, which, yes. uh, Yes. Not the uh, biggest fan. No, no, not the biggest fan either. There's been three of them. I believe so. I saw the first one. I did too. I
2: don't think I've seen the sequels.
1: I don't think I have. I think I saw the second one was the not. The second
2: one was like Golden but, Circle or something. Yeah, I'm not I happy
1: did. with that. And then there was one that had Ray Fiennes the in it. The first Kingsman or something yes, like that. Yes, that's it. Okay. okay. But he's also made some other movies. Uh, he made the film, uh, Star, was it Stardust? Stardust, which I liked. Had yep. Robert De Niro's based off a of, um, Neil Gaiman story. Right. So. so that was that. Also, he did one of the X Men movies, The X Men First Clash, which I actually oh. really liked. That was yeah. one of my favorite of the X Men films. Was that kind of like when they rebooted stuff? Mm-hmm. Okay, and they yeah. brought Fastbender in to be. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I yeah, liked yeah it. it was good. So anyway, um, he has got a movie coming out pretty soon called Argyle, which I'm going to show you the trailer for in a minute. Okay. Are you familiar with this?
2: I I believe I am.
1: Have you seen the trailer for it?
2: Yes, but yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So we'll okay. talk about this. Okay. I'm curious. I haven't seen the trailer. Okay. Um, I'm just curious sure. about the film in general. It is being touted as a little bit of a kind of a big release coming out in, I think, January. Maybe I'll I'll verify that for sure. Okay. But Matthew Vaughn had a, kind of an interesting news item, and it just brings up a good question. Uh, he got... Talked to in an interview, I guess, while he's out promoting this film. Argyle. Sure. Uh, And he was asked if he ever considered or would want to do something with Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. Okay. His answer was, is that uh, if they ever came to him to do Star Wars, he would want to reboot it, meaning Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Darth Vader, all those characters, but completely reboot it with those characters, a new telling of that story. Now we've had star Wars conversations for years. Yes. Many, many directors coming in and talking about their ideas for continuing the saga. Many of those directors ideas, we've never seen the light of day. They kind of got shut down or <laughs> yeah. canceled. Of course the, 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 the series have never gotten away from just still talking about the original story of these main characters. And now we're just experiencing offshoots of those, those characters. But Chris, let me just ask you from a theoretical standpoint, if somebody, if a director, I'll even make it easier. If it was a director you liked, came up and said, I'm going to reboot Star Wars. We're going to start it back from ground zero. It's still going to be similar characters. It's still going to be similar things, but we're redoing it. Just all new, new casting, maybe put a little fresh spin on some of the characters, but it's still going to be a reboot. Like forget everything that happened, starting fresh. How? What would be your your thoughts on that? I, I think I probably you know, and usually, <laughs> I,
2: yeah, I, I don't think I I don't think I'd be on board. Um, to me, a totally original like doing Rogue One, where it's you investigate the past, but you put you kind of learn something new about it. Or something. that's where if you're going to go back to original material, that's what I'd rather you do. Or even like. Um, we talk about all the things that have been been redone from Disney where they take the little mermaid and they do a live action. So they're like telling the same thing, but they're reimagining it Mm -hmm. to me. That's pretty boring. Now what wasn't boring was Maleficent where they go back to the tale of sleeping beauty, but they do something a little different with it. Um, tell it from a different perspective. So yeah, I just hearing what you said, I don't think I would be that into it. But if you got somebody like Quentin Tarantino, where you put his dialogue with a space with Star Wars, and some of his like, maybe twist type stuff, maybe it could work. I guess you've paid, you know, Matthew Vaughn was the person who said it. (laughs) I'm like, "Eh," you know, his, his stuff doesn't in general work for me. So I'd be really leery of it. So I, I mean, you know, I'm, if you have such an original take on the universe, then just do it with some original people, not with Mm -hmm. character or not original people, but do it with some different characters. So I guess that's kind of my, my feeling. What, what do you, what do you feel? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I'm honestly torn on it. I think it really depends for me who the director or who are the creative vision behind it is. Most people know I would not be in favor of this idea, but you toss out an idea like a Tarantino or a, (laughs) I don't know, somebody just with a really interesting creative vision doing it. I don't know. Like Christopher, maybe
2: Christopher Nolan.
1: If Christopher Nolan said, I'm going to jump into the Star Wars universe and redo, we're going to reboot Star Wars from ground zero. Some similar characters. Like he some did with the sp- Batman franchise. Yeah, but we're starting it. Good point. Because I think he was genius with the rebooting of the Batman universe, especially how we had kind of gotten the whole Batman franchise before that had gotten very stale and gotten very kind of cheesy over the top, but it went in a direction. I was not happy with it. Sure. He came in, rebooted. It's the same characters. Yeah. It's the same basic story, but he obviously added a very uh, different take on it and it worked beautifully. So yeah, I think it depends on the person. I don't want Matthew Vaughn doing it, (laughs) but I'd be happy with a select number of people, maybe considering it. Vaughn went on to say kind of his comments on this is like, uh, you know, uh, Everyone would say you're an idiot to try to do it. But he's like, but this is what would excite me. Mm-hmm. Why are the characters so ha- hallowed from that 1977 that you can't redo them for a new audience? Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, that's what I would do. He said, everybody's going to go bat blank crazy, but let's bring it on. Okay. If you want a new generation, make the movie for them. The old generation, hopefully you made it well enough that they go, oh, okay, I'm enjoying it.
2: Okay. So you've, you know, clarified a little bit. So if he's just, if the thing is recasting the characters so other people can play Han Solo or Leia or Luke or all these people, I don't have a problem with that. But if it's going to be the exact same beats of the story, I think that would be boring. If you do something like Solo and you have um, Alden Ehrenreich playing, you know him, that didn't bother me. A lot of people are like, oh, he's not my Han Solo. Like, I can get over that. You know, the if it's a good enough actor <laughs> yeah. and the story is good enough. So, yeah, recast the recast everybody. And tell like a similar story, but somehow, yeah, then maybe that would be interesting. I I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, you know, who is kind of the keeper of the Star Wars universe, Lucasfilm. The yeah, yeah, she had said last year that, uh, um, he said, Vaughn's, well, she didn't say this, but Vaughn's likely not going to get an opportunity anytime. This is from Vanity Fair. Vaughn's likely not going to get an opportunity anytime soon to remake the original films. Kathleen Kennedy had just told Vanity Fair last year that Lucasfilm is focused on expanding George Lucas's universe beyond the Skywalker saga. It's not planning to tell new stories with new actors playing those iconic characters. Gotcha. She goes on to say, quote, we also can't do something with Luke Skywalker. That isn't Mark Hamill. She said in the interview, we're not going to suddenly try and do that. So gotcha. they're pretty locked in on that's never going to happen. Luke Skywalker will always be Mark Hamill. And if Mark Hamill's no longer with us, Luke Skywalker, obviously in the films, no longer with us. Gotcha. So that's just that. They're not going to recast him. They're not going to redo it. Now, again, as Kathleen Kennedy saying that, <laughs> money always talks. We sure. could be 10 years from now, they could up and say, oh, well, yeah, we are going to redo everything. I don't know. Um, I, I just, I'd love to see a very creative take on the Star Wars story, uh, a very unique, very different take on it. And I would not mind if it's. Basically the same characters just replayed by different people. If it was being done by someone with a really unique vision for telling the story, that's it. But if it's just going to be retooling it just because we want younger people to like Luke Skywalker and see a younger <laughs> like Luke Skywalker. No, I'm not interested in that. That's, right. that's no good. Okay. Okay. So that's Matthew Vaughn. Just yes. because see him. He's talking Star Wars. I sure. thought it was worth exploring. And honestly, there's not a lot of other news right now going on. So <laughs> I, I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for that one. Fair enough. But it did bring me a chance to at least bring up his film, Argyle, that is coming out. This film is expected in February 2nd, 2024. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I haven't watched the trailer for this. I'm already just torn on it just for several reasons. One, Matthew Vaughn's very hit or miss for me, and so like like we discussed with his filmography. Mm-hmm. Uh two, this looks on the surface a lot more like the Kingsman films, which I'm not the fan of, so that's already a turn off. On the positive side, Henry Cavill stars as Argyle, which I do like Henry Cavill. I kind of want to see him get a story, a franchise, a thing that he's like that like is his film. Okay. So that's possibility. And then of course I read the premise of the film an introverted introverted spy novelist is drawn into the activities of a sinister underground syndicate. All right. I like that concept, but I feel like it's also been done recently. Then we have a film very similar to that with a Sandra um, Sandra Bullock, uh, the lost city. Yes. Where she is a, like a adventure romance novelist and she kind of gets brought into her own Yes. Uh, story. Yes. Right?
2: that That is, that is the movie and I have seen it. <laughs> yeah. And it was not good.
1: Right. Well, Bryce Dallas Howard is playing Ellie Conway, who I assume is the spy novelist we're talking about. So this is a film Argyle. Again, when people are talking, when the studios are saying big releases, they've got planned between November through, you know, uh, the beginning of the year, this is kind of being batted up there as, Hey, yeah, this is a big release in February coming out. So um, can we watch the trailer? Sure. I'm just curious. I want to see what we're dealing with here. So Um, here we go. This is the trailer for the film Argyle.
0: I certainly hope you dance as well as you dress. There's only one way to find out. You and I, we're not so different. Agent argyle little help hold on
1: so that was the trailer for argyle coming out february 2nd by director matthew vaughn huge cast i will say i mean before i get into the comments on the trailer i I really like this cast there's a lot of cast members in here i'm really i like i like watching i'm I'm a big fan of catherine o'hara Brian Cranston, John Cena, Sam Rockwell. It's a fun cast. Rob Delaney's in this, I see. Love it. But (laughs) um, it looks like the things I did not like from The Kingsmen just kind of amplified and played out again. And then the premise again. It just sounds like it's very done over already.
2: You mentioned, which was a good call out. Uh, The Lost City. Yeah. And you said with The Kingsman, add in there Stranger Than Fiction, the Will Ferrell movie. Right, sure. And then you have pretty much got this movie. Yeah,
1: because there is an implication that what she's writing is kind of happening. So it's almost like she's predicting or foretelling what's happening in the spy world through her novels. Um, The film seems to be playing up that there is a twist of some sort. Even in their poster, it's, you know the 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 line on the poster is once you know the secret don't let the cat out of the bag and there seems to be in the trailer a moment of some sort of twist as well so they're trying to play that up from a marketing standpoint to make it you know appealing of, of why um oh oh
2: i i have a guess you
1: have a okay i don't want to know okay yeah look i this is going to be one i'm going to have to hear some early word about before i go out and check out but The thing is with the Kingsman, I I remember when that movie came out, all the marketing of it and the way it looked and the style of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I remember watching it. It's like "Eh." it was more it was a lot more style over substance and it was a lot more flash over or over anything good. And uh, that was disappointing. It's why I never really got invested with the other films, because I just felt like. Is all style over substance. The trailer for this film, unfortunately, does give some of that same idea. It's um, kind of, it has like a guy Ritchie feel to it. Yeah. With absolutely. Like the
2: stylized explosions and action sequences. So
1: Yeah. I did think it was interesting early in the you know, they're putting up cards up on the screen, you know, during the early part of the trailer, and it says from they say from controversial from the twisted mind twisted mind of, of Matthew Vaughn. Of Matthew Vaughn, I'm like, okay, all right. I've never <laughs> kind of heard it pitched that way, but they're definitely trying to play that up. Right. And then play up as some sort of twist in the film. Yeah. Um, But it's really interesting. Even the visual style of the film looks like the Kingsman, even like the, the use of the plaid patterns and some other things they use. It just was like, yeah, this looks just like his other action movies. And I don't know. Yeah. We will see. Um, (laughs) I'm kind of curious, but at the same time, I don't have high hopes either. So that's where I am with it. Fair enough. All right. Well, that is our coming out in February. 2024. Um, but Chris, you have a recommendation of a film, I believe that is available now. Am I correct on that? Uh, a film you want to recommend that we check out. So Chris, turn it over to you. What is our film recommendation for this episode?
2: So being that we are still in the month of October, um, I have a film that would be good to watch if you're in the Halloween spirit and want to see something a little scary. Um, it is PG 13, I think. So, um, I guess, it may be okay if you have older kids that you feel like could stand it. But it's a film, Trick or Treat. Um, it's from 2007. And I basically wanted to watch this film because every year when I go to Spirit of Halloween with my daughter, because she loves going there to like see all the new stuff they come out with, you know, just the different costumes and such – there's always this character and I had no idea who it was and Meadow was like, Oh, well that's, that's trick or treat. That's Sam. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but just, I thought it was like a nightmare before Christmas ripoff or something. I was like, okay, I want to watch trick or treat just so I know like what Sam is and he is in the film. I was a little disappointed <laughs> that he wasn't in the film more prevalently, but um, it's a fun film. And I think something doesn't take itself too seriously um, I kind of said like if it was, if Robert Altman had decided to do like a take on the screen franchise, <laughs> because that's kind of what it's like. But, um, I don't know. And it, it interweaves stories, which is kind of like what Robert Altman is so like a an like anthology story type lines. of thing. Uh, yes. Ish. It's basically four different stories that are happening all at the same time. Okay. So they don't like separate them out necessarily and say like, give them different titles. But, um, I don't know. It was, they were trying something mm-hmm. now. Does all of it work? Well, no, but when it does work, it re- works really well. So I think it's, if you want a, a scary movie, that's a little different from what you might normally see just a straight out, like Michael Myers slash flick or something like mm-hmm. that. They were, they were trying for something original with this, the director okay. is Michael Doherty. And supposedly there was going to be a trick or treat two, but mm-hmm. that has not come out yet. And maybe they're still mm-hmm. working on the script. But um, if you want something a little, an original kind of scary movie, if you haven't seen it, you can check it out. It's available on uh, Max. So if you subscribe to that service, you can see it. Or I'm sure you can rent it at all the usual places.
1: And that's the service formerly known as HBO.
2: HBO Max, yeah. But now Max. it's just Max. Now it's
1: just Max. So Trick or Treat.
2: Right, because Trick or Treat, I think, is a different movie that has like a... It's like a rock and roll guy that somehow comes back from the dead or something. We like, Right. So not, not that one. This is just trick or treat, trick or treat. trick or
1: treat. Yes. Yeah. I yes. guess that's what you say. Trick or treat. Yes. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard about this film. I mean, I heard it got some pretty good buzz when it came out, but it was a kind of a small, not really well-known film, but yeah, it's grown a little bit in a, in, yeah. in its esteem. I over think time. it
2: has kind of like a cult following. Yeah. So this one I'd never seen. So trick
1: or treat. Interesting. Trick or treat. That Mm -hmm. is Chris's recommendation here for the Halloween season. As we're listening, this is our last week to kind of squeeze in that Halloween, uh, Halloween plug, Chris. So uh, I think I gave a couple recommendations or one or two last week and now you've given one. So we've given some people, some good options of things to check out during this holiday season here. Um, Well, that will wrap it up for foot candle films today. Again, we had our review of killers of the flower moon, both uh, very positive from both Chris and myself. We discussed the uh, the idea of a Star Wars reboot under Matthew Vaughn, as well as Matthew Vaughn's upcoming film Argyle and the trailer for that. And then, of course, Chris's recommendation of Trick or Treat. <laughs> yes. Uh, so with that, Chris, anybody has any thoughts or feedback for us? What should they do? You can send an email
2: to info at footcandle.org to tell us why Matthew Vaughn is the perfect person to reboot the Star Wars franchise. You can also follow us on Twitter at FootCandle Film, Facebook, or Foot Candle Film Society, Instagram Threads, we're just simply Foot Candle Film. Al and I are also on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and leave quick takes sometimes. Do us a favor. If you like the show, consider giving us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast, because it would help us reach new listeners. And we'd always appreciate that.
1: All right. Well, that will wrap us up for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in the ticket
2: line.
0: Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community.